Welcome to another episode of the Desert Shift Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Beardsley, alongside fellow host Tyler Cast. Welcome back. Tyler, how's it going over in New York? Uh, it's going great. Um, I'm glad that hasn't rained in a few days because I don't like the rain. And it's been really, really nice out. So I've enjoyed the the not 110 degrees heat, but, you know, still a little hot out. Well, speaking of the heat, the heat is on in the NHL. There has been a lot of news. It's only been about a week, less than a week. And, oh, my gosh, we have gotten bombarded with a lot of stuff. Trade rumors, extensions, Hockey Hall of Fame. You got it all. The Calder Cup. Like, it's all here. Everything's done. And the world is blowing up. And we could possibly be reaching some massive NHL trades. We have a lot to talk about, so let's dive straight into it. Let's start off with the from the oldest to newest, and we'll start off with the Hockey Hall of Fame. The candidates or the inductees have officially been announced. Here are the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame class for 2023. Henrik Lundqvist, uh, Tom Barrasso, Pierre Turgeon, Mike Vernon, Caroline Ouellet, Coach Ken Hitchcock, and GM Pierre Lacroix uh, all are getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Hitchcock and Lacroix going in as builders. Ouellet is a women's hockey player. Um, And then the rest all played in the NHL. Tyler, your quick thoughts to these Hockey Hall of Fame inductees. Congrats to uh, all of them and Islanders legend Pierre Turgeon. Um, I know you have some thoughts about the class this year and some guys who didn't get in, but I, I thought everyone who got it, um, it was deserving for all of them. There's some guys who didn't get it that I thought deserved to be there, but um, all, I think all the guys that got in did deserve to be in there. Oh, I just don't know about this one, Chief. Be honest. Henrik Lundqvist, amazing choice. That was for sure happening. There was no way that wasn't going to happen. Pierre Lacroix, I'm surprised he again uh, earlier. He helped build the Avalanche dynasties, uh, and those were some pretty damn good teams. Ken Hitchcock, obviously winning the Cup with Dallas in 99. Uh, just Tom Barrasso, Pierre Turgeon, and Mike Vernon are the ideal guys. And I understand that – these guys are legends like uh, Tom Barrasso. That's a Pittsburgh Penguins legend. He won the Cups with Pittsburgh in the 90s. Pierre Turgeon, I mean, he had a bunch of points. Um, Mike Vernon won the Cup with the Calgary Flames in 89. So a lot of Cups and points amassed in that. But then you look at everyone who got left out. Like, again, the big one to me, Alex McGinley. Like, how the hell is he still not in the Hockey Hall of Fame it astounds me every year that this happens. I mean, his story alone should get him into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The trailblazer he was defecting from Russia and coming over to the NHL, putting up multiple points and goals, winning a cup eventually with the New Jersey Devils. He's a legend. And the fact that Tom Barrasso, Pierre Turgeon, and Mike Vernon got into the Hockey Hall of Fame above him just – blows my mind and is very upsetting to me um 
and the same can be said to Rod Brendamore. I, I feel like Rod Brendamore deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame over Pierre Turgeon and uh, Zuck or Zatterberg. Uh, also, why why didn't he get inducted? Like these are all names that I think deserve to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame above Barrasso, Turgeon, and Vernon. But that's just me. But I think a lot of people will agree with me on McGinley. Yeah, and. Honestly, um, I I really think the only reason McGinley didn't get in is because the NHL is trying to stay away from all of the Russia stuff. I I yeah. really believe that's that's the only reason that he didn't get in. So I mean, I I do think eventually he gets in once in I don't know how long it'll take, but I think um just right now with everything going on in Russia between the NHL and Russia, they're just they were just trying to stay away from that. And I I really believe that's the only reason he didn't get in this year. Yeah, I would agree with you, especially because this year's Hockey Hall of Fame class kind of seemed a bit weaker than most of the others. Uh, but moving on, uh, Michael Carsoni, Coyotes legend, has earned himself an extension. Two years worth 775000 per year. Your thoughts on the Michael Carsoni extension? Carsoni had... 85 points through 65 games with the Tucson Roadrunners last season and three points through nine games with the Coyotes. Yeah, and I believe this is a, a one-way deal. So I think this um, solidifies the, the Coyotes' trust in uh, Car- Carsoni to, to make it with the big league club. I still think that he's going to you know, have to fight for a spot in training camp. Um, but I think that the Coyotes trust that he'll be able to make the team and produce in the NHL. So I think they were comfortable, especially after the tremendous year he had in Tucson. I think that they were comfortable giving him, um, I think they gave him two years and it was a one-way deal. So I think they expect him to be in the big league club. And I thought that he was great in the few games that he played. Um, So I'm excited to see what he does next year in Arizona because I think he could be a really, really solid third-line guy there. It helps that Zach Cassian has been bought out. That's an extra roster space. And then most, a lot, I bet, a bet, good amount of those free agents like Brett Ritchie is not going to return to the Coyotes. Uh, we'll discuss that further in their episode. But m- moving on, the Hershey Bears are Calder Cup champions. The final hockey season is over for the 2022 2023 season. Hershey Bears, uh, they defeated the Coachella Valley Firebirds in OT of game seven in Coachella Valley uh, to claim the AHL's Calder Cup. And this is Hershey's 12th championship in franchise history. And once again, a Washington or Washington affiliate ends a expansion Cinderella run. Tyler, your thoughts on Hershey taking down Coachella? Yeah, I mean, both teams had great seasons. And came down to, you know, overtime in game seven. Um, I, I caught a little bit of the third period and overtime there and it was, it was pretty, uh, a pretty good game. Honestly, I, I did fall asleep because it was like, it was like late here. It was like 2 a.m. overtime. And I was, you know, it's this late here, but, um, uh, I thought that it was a great game from what I watched. Um, Coachella had a great season. I think what they did out there, which is great for, for them and just hockey in general over in California, especially for the AHL teams over there. Um, seeing that place packed and how it's such a great atmosphere it looked like over in Coachella. Um, I would have loved to see that place explode if 
Coachella to get the winning game seven. That would have been a crazy scene. But um, congrats to Hershey and uh, as a, a a good season, both both teams uh, really deserve to to be there. I thought. I mean, first off, let's talk about Coachella a little bit. Obviously, their first year in existence in the new Acmeshire Arena. Um, before this, they didn't, most of these players didn't even play together. Uh, the Seattle Kraken sent all their prospects in the first year to Charlotte, and they had a bunch of Florida prospects as well. So it was a mismatch of all these different players from the two different organizations. So this was truly an expansion franchise. And with that, I have to say this is the greatest hockey expansion team, I would say, or the greatest story in hockey as an expansion team in all of hockey. Because Vegas, you know, as we know, drafted a bunch of underdogs, and they went to the Stanley Cup final, but they weren't close to winning that. They lost in game five, and most of the games uh, between two and four were blowouts and were completely in Washington's favor. Meanwhile, this series between Coachella and Hershey was a very tight series. A couple of them went to OT. Uh, the first two in Coachella, bit lopsided, I would say, and I would say the third one in Coachella as well. But the games in Hershey were super fun in that game seven. Some of the best hockey I've watched in the most recent years. A lot of fun. This whole AHL playoffs, I would say, were better than the NHL playoffs. Just the fact that a game, it went to Game 7 OT for the first time since the 50s, the 1950s in AHL. Um, and then Hershey ends it just like a fantastic year from Coachella. It's now a hockey market. I mean, that place is rocking every game. It seems so cool. I can't wait to go see a game there. Uh, also, shout out to Dan Bysma. Uh former Pittsburgh Penguins head coach, uh, now the Coachella head coach, took his team in the first year to the Calder Cup. Game 7 OT, just a goal away from winning the Calder Cup in the team's first year, his first year. Also, uh, Jesse Campbell, the first female assistant coach to ever make it to a final, a hockey final in professional league and one of the main three leagues. So congrats to her as well. Congrats to Sun Devil, former Sun Devil, Joey Decord. I mean, he was fantastic in these playoffs. He was so good. Uh, one of the main reasons why uh, Coachella made it all the way, and he's going to be a great backup and so many great stories uh, throughout Coachella. I mean, congrats to Hershey, 12th championship. They're the oldest team in the AHL, and they've won yet another championship. Uh, some bright spots in Washington's future, as Hershey is the uh, HL affiliate of Washington. Uh, Hendrix Lapierre is a name you might know, and he's now a Calder Cup champion. So a lot of good coming from this. And just overall, some great hockey in this in yeah. these playoffs in the series. I was actually I was, I was about to shout out uh, Dan Bellismo because, you know, just a, a decade ago, he's regarded as one of like the best young coaches um, in the league, I think he he took over Pittsburgh and won a cup there with them yeah. uh, in his first first stint as a head coach. And he had some really good years there. And then when he go to he went to a really really bad Buffalo team and uh, struggled there. But I, I think this is for him a uh, way for it to get behind an NHL bench soon. So um, you know, a guy who was a, a really good coach 
um, at a young age, kind of fell out of the league, um, kind of young for a coach. I think he was in his 40s when he went out. So I think this this is the best thing for him in his career, showing that he still has what it takes to to be behind the bench at a, a top level. Speaking of coaching and speaking of Washington, Mitch Love has joined the Washington Capitals as a assistant coach. Uh, he was the head coach of the Stockton Heat slash Calgary Wranglers and really turned those franchises around 96, 33, and 11 in that whole span. He took the Stockton Heat all the way to the Western Conference Finals in the AHL uh, in his first year behind the bench. And then with the Calgary Wranglers, he took them all the way to a elimination game against Coachella Valley. So he he was a candidate for the Calgary Flames head coaching job. Didn't get it, and now he joins Washington. Your thoughts on Mitch Love joining the Capitals? Yeah, I, I really, really like this hire. I think Mitch Love is one of the, the best developmental coaches um, just uh, anywhere between um, AHL and NHL. I think he's a guy that could really is really good at tapping into young players, you know, tapping into their potential and getting them to produce at what they're best at, you know, whether that be offense, defense, he gets them to bring out um, their skills to the best of their ability, which we saw in the AHL. So I think that, um, he's going to be a really, really great assistant coach. And that's just great for Washington, whose aim right now is to just retool and get younger. I think bringing him and getting into that coaching staff is going to really, really help out Washington, um, whatever young players they get, um, especially in this this new draft, helping them out um, and develop into the best possible player. Yeah, I mean, that Washington bench has gotten a lot younger now with Spencer Kirby and now Mitch Love at might be a really, really good coaching staff over in Washington in the upcoming season. Our next topic, oh man, Calgary cannot, cannot take a break. Every offseason feels like there's something new and bad going on with Calgary, and here is the latest here. Elias Lindholm, Mikel Backlund, Noah Hannafin, and Tyler Toffoli have all kind of been rumored to not stay in Calgary past this next season. They do not plan on resigning and just adds to the massive dumpster fire Calgary has kind of been through. I mean, Johnny Gaudreau obviously left last offseason. To Chuck left last or got traded last offseason. Huberto didn't have the ideal season. Mitch Love is now gone. Um their head coach, Daryl Sutter, last season was atrocious and didn't play any of their youth. Um, Markstrom didn't have a great season last year. Their arena is a, not the best. And Milan Lucic, who they've kind of fell in love with, is not resigning in Calgary, which is the rumor around the block as well. And now you have Backlund, Lindholm, Hannafin, and Toffoli all leaving uh, and Mitch Love obviously leaving. So a lot of big-name players in Calgary potentially leaving. Tyler, your thoughts? So many players leaving Calgary in the past couple of years. Yeah, it just seems like the trend in the recent years just, I don't know, it just, just doesn't seem like a place players want to play anymore. I don't know if that has to do with the, the arena, the the location, 
but I actually think this is the best possible news for them hearing that these guys want out now rather than in a year when they're going to be UFAs because um, whether they, they trade them or not, they know that um, they're at least, they know that they don't want to be there and they know that they're going to get something for them if they are traded. Um, so I just, I think that it, it sucks. Uh, I feel bad for the, the fans, but I, I think that um, especially the last regime left a kind of a bad taste in a lot of players' uh, mouth. And even though it's totally new regime there, new front office, new coaching staff, I still think that a lot of these players kind of want a fresh sheet and just move on. Yeah, I mean, it's I agree with you completely, Tyler. I mean, it's forcing what they should have done a couple years back which is completely get rid of the core. They started to do it last off season, but they were kind of forced to, and now they're being forced to again. They should have started rebuilding a couple years back, but now they're finally getting forced to completely overhaul the core. Uh, these players should, should have been traded a long time ago to start a new regime in Calgary because Calgary hasn't had any sustained success since a long time ago. They usually get into the playoffs and miss, get into the playoffs and miss. It's kind of like the Flyers, what they were doing towards the tail end of the 2010s. They're doing, Calgary's doing it here because they made it last season. They missed this season. They made it the in the 2019 season and they lost in the qualifying round against Dallas in the 2020 season. I mean, it's an on and off thing for Calgary. It's something that they needed to fix for a while and now they're getting forced to do it. Obviously, the new regime helps a lot, but this is something they should have done a long time ago. They, If they manage to trade all these players and not be kind of dumb and go for it, because I don't think their core is uh, good enough to go for it, I think they can get a lot for uh, a lot of these players. I think Hannafin might be the most appealing on the block. He's a good top four defenseman. Um, Lindholm is a great player as well. I think those two players will get you the most, but Toffoli, don't undermine him. He was probably one of Calgary's best uh, players last season, and uh, Mikhail Backlund's pretty decent as well. Um, so I would say watch out for Calgary to make some massive moves in the offseason or towards trade deadline. I think all these players are going to be gone by the time next June rolls around. Yeah, I don't expect any of them to be around next offseason, but I'm curious to see what they do because, you know, some guys have been in Calgary for a while, especially Backland, and um, I wonder if they, they trade him or decide to, to, you know, try and push to really keep him around because I think that especially an older guy like that, and especially with Lindholm, I think money changes everything. Um, so even though some of these guys might want out of Calgary, I think Calgary is going to push really, really hard to try and keep them. Um, but I, I could also see, you know, this new regime that's, that's taking over them also, you know, finally admitting that they want to rebuild, which I think would be the smart thing to do. But at the same time, you got to look, it's, it's Canada. You have the Oilers just a few, uh, a few hours away, just, you know, being a competitive team that's trying to win the cup. And uh, I think we've seen it with a lot of the Canadian teams. It's hard to rebuild in front of Canadian fans. We saw Toronto do it, but right now Vancouver's, you know, they're not admitting they need to rebuild. And we've seen it in the past. Um, Canadian teams just kind of refusing to do it, especially the Flames. And um, I, I hope that for their fans that they decide that they should 
you know, just finally tear it down and try and really build something special there. But um, we'll see if the, this new front office decides that it's finally time to do it. Absolutely. Moving on to a team that just came out of a rebuild. Eric Halla has been re-signed by the New Jersey Devils to a three-year extension or $3.15 million. That's the AAV. Uh, Eric Halla has kind of bounced around the league a lot. Um, started when he was with Vegas. He went from Vegas to Carolina, then to Florida. And that was all in the same season. From Florida, he went to Nashville. And then from Nashville, he went to Boston. And then he got flipped over to New Jersey. And now he's kind of getting finally a permanent place here to uh, to play. And that's in New Jersey. He had 41 points through 80 games last season. Your thoughts on Eric Halla being re-signed by the Devils? Uh, I don't think that the deal is bad. Like, I don't think the term is bad or the money is bad. My only problem with this is I just – I don't think Eric Halla is really – that great of a player um just in terms of the fact that i think he's a super easily replaceable guy and that's why i think we've seen him shift around so many times recently that um i think he's fine to you know get you some goals and some points but i think um a lot of the teams that had him realized that you know this guy really isn't a guy we need to pay we could get similar production from a guy on a cheaper deal you know a guy in our system and i don't think that the term or the money's bad i just I just don't really think that he's a guy that's just super great or that was really worth for the Devils to keep around. So, I mean, I don't think it's bad. I think he'll be a solid player for them. But I just – I really don't think he's a needle-changing guy, like, at all. And I, I just – I I don't know. I just never really thought of him as, like, a, a guy – if I was a Devils fan, I'd just be like, this isn't really a guy that we needed to keep around. I think probably could just let him walk. Yeah, he's not the – like – big name player or anything he's a good bottom six option but as you mentioned like he could easily be replaced i don't think he's worth 3.15 mil i think uh closer to 2.5 would be a little bit better but it's not terrible it's not long term i also question why they signed him before timo meyer um because i feel like that would be where you would focus all your mentality on to try to sign the player that you gave up a lot of assets to get. But, I mean, hey, Eric Halla sticking around long-term now in New Jersey. Moving on, someone who has stuck by franchise for a while, and this one hits close to home, Patrick Marlowe is hired as a San Jose Sharks player development coach and hockey operations advisor Obviously, Marlo, uh, the all-time leader in games played in the NHL. Uh, he played with San Jose. He also played with Toronto and Pittsburgh. And he scored 1,197 points in those uh, games. You know, he's just a Sharks legend. Um, what are your thoughts on Mar Patty getting signed as a coach? I mean, uh, I think that a lot of people saw this coming. I I didn't I thought if he was going to take a front office spot, it wouldn't be anywhere but San Jose. Um but I, I like this just because I think that, you know, a guy that's been with the franchise a long time, he's a guy that he he knows the franchise really well. And I think he knows what it takes to be a long and have a good long and sustainable career in the in the NHL. And I think that's what you kind of want 
uh, for young guys to see, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on outside of the ice, like um, personal stuff, you know, making sure that you're hitting the gym, you know, um, have a sustainable diet. And I think that he's a good guy for a lot of these young guys to kind of learn the NHL lifestyle. So I think that's a big part of it. And I think for him who had such a long and, you know, sustainable career um, that he'll be good for both the, the guys on the ice, but also off the ice, you know, learning their way. And when they're starting their I guess way into the league. He's just a great guy to have around in uh, in the in the facilities for these young sharks players. I agree. I mean, Patty is San Jose. He is the definition of San Jose Shark. Uh, I hundred percent expected this. He's been coaching, quote unquote, uh, in Florida for his son and hockey camps down there. So this is perfect for him. I mean. We kind of expected him to be, like, close with uh, players on the ice. And, you know, he's just that type of guy that fits so well into this role. And I'm so happy that Patty is going to stick around the organization. This is a fantastic hire. And he's Mr. San Jose Shark. I mean, I'll be full blunt. I might not always have been, you know, the biggest fan of Patty Marlowe. Uh, especially around the 2017 season where I thought they should have flipped him before he signed with Toronto, but he he's Mr. San Jose Shark, and I'm super happy to have him on this uh, now rebuilding Sharks team, and hopefully he advises Mike Greer to take uh, Mitchkov at four. But moving on, we have some trades to announce. The first one involving two Central Division teams the nashville predators have traded ryan johansson with 50 percent retention on the salary to the colorado avalanche for the rights to sign alex gauchenia coyotes legend avalanche legend pittsburgh legend minnesota legend like i can go on and on here what an absolute god he is um so, yeah, Johansson to the Avalanche on 50% retain. Your thoughts on Nashville uh, getting rid of Ryan Johansson? Yeah, GM Trotz, is, he's cooking up something. I don't know what it is, but he's he's cooking back there, and I'm excited to see what he does. That's why I know some people don't agree, but I really like this move for Nashville because – Nashville's whole thing right now is getting younger. And we saw last year, they did not need Johansson at all. He was out for a lot of the season. And I mean, guys like Forsberg and Duchesne, you know, those are your core guys. And putting those guys in with the young guys who were really good last year, I think that's going to be really, really good for Nashville. And um, they cleared up. Johansson had $8 million and they did retain 50% of that. But getting $4 million off the books is still a big chunk of money. So I think Trotz is cooking up something. I don't know what it is because I think he's going to have a, a similar way to a, to Lou um, where he's going to keep things very down low and he's not going to let a lot of things get out to the media. But I think he's cooking up something there. And um, we're going to see some moves in Nashville this offseason. But um, for the Colorado side of things, I think it's a solid pickup. I mean, Johansson will probably slide in as their second line center. He'll probably put a punch there. Um and if he doesn't have the, the greatest season ever, you know, he's only at four million. He'll only have one year left after this year. Um, but I think that it will he's a player that, you know, he's 
towards the tail end of his career, but I think he'll still put up points. And he's, you know, a solid pickup. Um, I think he'll put put up points no matter where he plays in Colorado just because they're such a good offensive team. Yeah, I'll start on the Colorado side. I mean, this is the center that Colorado has been looking for since Nazem Kadri left um, after the Stanley Cup championship. We all knew that they were desperately trying to re-sign Kadri, but he went to Calgary. Uh, I like this trade for the Abs a lot. Uh, so now their center depth is going to be McKinnon, Johansson, and potentially JT Confer. Uh, seeing if they could re-sign him, though. And that's a pretty decent uh, center depth there. I, I like Ryan Johansson, not at the cap hit he was at, but at 50% retained, and all he had to give up was Alex Galchenyuk. That's pretty good, even though Alex Galchenyuk is a legend, and he's trying to get to the uh, record of amount of teams uh, played for by an NHL player. I don't know if he ever plays a game in Nashville or if he signs with Nashville, but... Alex Galchenyuk, everyone, he didn't play that much with the abs. Meanwhile, uh, on the Predators side, I agree with you, Tyler. He's cooking up something. We don't know, but he's he's cooking up something. The Eggman, uh, the legend himself, uh, Barry Trotz. Uh, but I think he's also trying to refresh this team in his own vision, in his own face, kind of taking over from David Boyle. And first casualty here is Ryan Johansson. And again, if – they're clearing out cap space to do something here. I think it's smart. They still have a lot of good players on that team. Roman Yoshi, uh, Ryan McDonough, even the players that were starting to come up last season, uh, the youth are starting to shape up to be a good core. And, I mean, you also have uh, Philip Forsberg still on that team. You have Matt Duchesne, who has bounced back from his kind of awful years of his contract to it, being a decent player. Um but yeah, I think it's a good trade for both of them. I don't think there's a clear loser here. Obviously, we'll see what Johansson can do. And obviously, we'll have to see what Nashville does with the cap space. And obviously, they have uh, they have UC Soros in that. So a lot of good things possibly going to be in the Nashville. And I think they could really make a good push to the playoffs this next season. Uh, moving on to a, another trade that went down. Uh, involving the LA Kings and the Arizona Coyotes. Coyotes trade the 2024 second round pick that they got in the Christian Dvorak deal uh, from Montreal, and they've traded it for Sean Dursey. Uh, obviously, our, our one of our hosts here, Tyler Cass, big LA Kings guy. Uh, he's also a big Coyotes guy. Your thoughts on the Dursey deal? I love this trade for, for both sides. Um... Because I think Jersey is a super, super good offensive guy. He's going to be so good on that Coyotes power play. I think a lot of the issues with the Coyotes power play last year is they didn't really have a guy that could quarterback it. They were just throwing like random guys back there. Like Valmaki was there at times. Um, Moser was power play QB sometimes. I think that once Chickren left, they really didn't have a guy that could really be the the back end of that power play. Now you have Dursey there, who is such such a great offensive defenseman. And I think um, the, if there's any t- team that could really help him find his find his game in his own end, I think the Coyotes are a team that has really helped uh, defensemen who have struggled defensively in the past, you know, uh, be able to 
hold their own in their own end. We saw Valmaki, who wasn't the best de- uh, defensive defenseman, have a really, really strong defensive season. So I think that if Jersey could, you know, turn around a defensive game, he's going to be a star defenseman for a while. I think it's a super, super um, low risk, really high reward trade for the Coyotes. And then on the Kings side, the Kings have so many defensive prospects. And Dersey was a guy who's going to be an RFA after this year, who they didn't really have the money to give a contract to. And it just, you know, it frees up the spot. You're going to have Brent Clark coming in next year, who has the potential to be one of the best defensemen in the league. Um, you, you have guys like Jordan Spence, who are also really, really good. Um, so I think that Dersey's spot was kind of um, his to lose. And I think that he really, really struggled defensively. And I think that kind of made the Kings realize that they could upgrade within um, this offseason and they didn't really need him long term. So I, I like this for both sides. You know, Coyotes get a guy who could become, you know, their top pairing defenseman for a long time. And the Kings clear at this spot so they could play their their top pairing defenseman for a long time in Brent Clark. Yeah, I think after Vlaslav Gavrikov resigned with the Kings, I think the writing was on the wall for Jersey. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, Brent Clark, uh, Spen- uh, Spencer, uh, what's his last name? I always Jordan forget. Spence. Jordan Spence. Why am I forgetting his name? But Jordan Spence, Brent Clark, these two th- prospects are going to be some of the best defensemen in the West eventually. These two guys have been hyped up by the LA Kings fans, and Gavrikov obviously resigning uh, makes this deal like kind of low risk, high reward for both teams. I mean, LA now gets more cap space, which they need for a potential deal coming soon. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but also, I mean, again, they had a lot of defensemen, not just prospect wise, but also NHL wise, and kind of want to clear up some cap space as well. For the Coyotes, I mean, they kind of had not a lot of great defensive players or defensemen on that blue line this past season. I mean, the best players on that blue line were Jacob Chikorin, but then he got traded. Other than that, Victor Soderstrom, question mark? They're, they didn't really have any great defensemen on that team this past season. And I think now uh, Dersey's going to be a mainstay on that uh, blue line. He's going to instantly get a lot of minutes. Um it's going to be interesting to see who they pair him with. Valmaki is a good choice. I think he was one of the better defensemen uh, for the past couple of season or this past season with the Coyotes. Other than that, Josh Brown, is he going to get re-signed? Like, that top four is looking absolutely atrocious, uh, depending on what the Coyotes do. But re-signing shot or trading for Sean Dersey really makes their blue line a lot better helps them get to the cap floor. And as you mentioned, low risk, high reward here because Dersey could become a good defenseman in Arizona. He needed a change of scenery, to be honest. Um, But also the Coyotes had so many draft picks. They have atrocious amount of draft picks. It is insane how many draft picks they have. So they they just decided to fork one over to LA. I mean, no harm done here, I, I feel like. We're going to go over a couple extensions before we get to the big news, the rumor mill. Um, The first one, Connor Ingram re-signing with the Coyotes, an extension to three years, 1.95 AAV. Your thoughts on the Ingram extension? Yeah, I 
I think it's a really, really great deal, especially getting him under two million. He struggled a lot at the beginning of the year, but once he found his game and got hot, the dude was really, really good. The stats might not show it, but he was putting up insane performances against some really, really good teams and some really good offenses. Um, and the Coyotes' defense did not help him out at all. I think Ingram has the chance to become a, a great goalie. I'm not going to say he's going to become an elite starter, but I think he's a guy that could be a really solid backup for a long time. And I think that if the Coyotes go the route, if they want to eventually trade Vimelka and explore that, I think Ingram's a guy that could step into a starter role for uh, a little bit and be able to hold his own. Yeah, I think he's a great 1A, 1B guy um, with a another starting goaltender, but he played fantastic, as you mentioned, towards the end of the season with the Coyotes. And the fact that they managed to re-sign him for under $2 million is insane because I think he's going to be a underrated player going forward, uh, especially because he plays with the Coyotes. And I expect him to have a decent year this upcoming season. I mean, uh, he had a .907 save percentage with a losing record in front of a terrible defensive Coyotes uh, team. And the fact that the Coyotes grabbed this dude on waivers is just beyond me. And also, I got to mention real quick, Joey Decord was also on waivers um, the same time Ingram was. So I'm sure some team out there is kicking themselves that they didn't grab Decord, especially after the monstrous AHL season that he's had, especially with a lot of goaltending struggles out there around the league. Going on, another goaltender has signed an extension. Aiden Hill, two-year extension with the Vegas Golden Knights, a $4.9 million AAV. Your thoughts on Aiden Hill, the Stanley Cup winning goaltender, re-signing with Vegas? I think that they definitely uh, jumped on it a little prematurely coming off the, the Cup win. I think that the years aren't terrible, but the cap is really, really high. But the most puzzling thing about this is they have so many goalies under contract like NHL caliber goalies. I mean, I don't know what the deal is with Robin Leonard. He was out all of last year, but I'm assuming he's going to be back sometime this year. And I don't know what they do with him. I'm, if he's able to play, I doubt they they stash him on LTIR the entire season. They still have Logan Thompson, who was an all-star this past year. Um, and then you have you have Yuri Patera, who was really, really good in, in Henderson. Uh, you still have him. As Bersois, free agent, Bersi, still under contract. Uh, Bersois' uh, contract ends, uh, so he is a free agent this summer. So I'll, I'll assume they run with with Hill and uh, and Thompson until Leonard gets back, and we'll see what they do with Leonard. I doubt Quick comes back, but um, it's, I, I think the money's high. The years aren't terrible, but uh, um, if he could play like he did in the playoffs, then I think it'll, it'll be fine for, for them. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this deal. I love Aiden Hill. That's the Sharks legend right there. I thought he played so well with the Sharks, and I was really disappointed when they decided to keep James Reimer over him. Um, I like Hill. He's a young goaltender, but I just find this really confusing for Vegas because, as you mentioned, they have so many goaltenders. They have Robin Leonard. They have Logan Thompson, as you mentioned, all-star last year, and a very extremely young goaltender. Uh, they have Yuri Patera, who can definitely become an NHL caliber goaltender. They give him the chance to, um, as as we mentioned, Robin Leonard. Uh, but this seals the deal basically for any reunion between Laurent Brassois and Stanley Cup champion 
Jonathan Quick rejoining the Vegas Golden Knights. I wonder what they do because I don't think they roll with four goaltenders in their system. Obviously, Patera, the odd man out, most likely going to Henderson for this next season. But then what do they do? Uh, Robin Leonard should be back sometime this season unless something sets him back. I mean, there's been a lot of issues with him off the ice. He filed for bankruptcy not too long ago. Um, And obviously, Hill won you the Stanley Cup. He was the Stanley Cup goaltender. uh, And Logan Thompson was the reason why they made it to the playoffs in the first place. He was super good this season. Uh, He should have been nominated for the Calder ahead of Stuart Skinner in my in my personal opinion. And um, yeah, he was an all-star as well. And it's just confusing what they're going to do with the whole goaltending logjam. It just feels like we're heading towards some sort of trade among either Thompson or Leonard. My guess is that they get rid of Leonard, try to find a suitor for him, but who's going to want that contract, especially with the injury history and with the controversies off the ice I mean, they, I don't think he goes back to the Islanders. I know you might be referencing that. There's no way with the cap space or his cap hit, and I think they want Varlamov back. Plus, you have, obviously, Shostorkin as your starter. I honestly don't know who takes this this contract of Leonard besides someone like Chicago. Um, I, I don't know, man. It's confusing. I like Hill. I think it's a little bit of an overpayment for him, especially because he hasn't really – Proven himself. He's only played this uh, postseason. He was the third string goaltender in the regular season. And I mean, he did play great in the playoffs, but so did Anton Hudobin. And he fell off immediately after the 2020 bubble season. So we'll see what he can do. Uh, We'll see what Vegas does. It's just very confusing. Kind of moving on from that, Jordan Stahl, a four year extension with the Carolina Hurricanes, $2.9 million AAV. Your thoughts on the stall extension? I, I don't even think that the, the length is too long. I think the money is a, a little bit high. But to me, Jordan Stall is a guy whose um, game does not really change um, on his age. I mean, he's an older guy right now, but he's a guy that, you know, I, to me, hasn't really shown any sl- signs of slowing down. And, you know, he's a, he's a guy whose game doesn't really have to change with his age because um, he's his main job is to be, you know, their 3C, that lockdown guy who plays against other teams' top lines. And even this past um, playoffs, I thought he did a great job of locking down other teams' top lines. So to me, um, even though he's older, I really don't think that he's going to be a bad player in, in four years. But I think the money will be a little bit high because I don't think the production will be there. But I think he's still going to be one of the best defensive centers, um, even in three or four years. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think it's a good extension. I think four years, I'll go three or two. But I really like the money actually here. Getting him under three point five is good, or even three mil is good. Um, I'm surprised he didn't ask for more. And this really helps with the Hurricanes approaching. Uh, cap space doom because they shortly have to resign Aho, Pesci, Slavin. They're all coming up and those are going to be some big extensions. Obviously they have to figure out what they're going to do with Freddie Anderson and Antiranta uh, this off season, maybe resign Patrick Reddy, although 
I don't think that costs much wherever he goes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a good deal. Jordan Stahl, I mean, that's the face of the Hurricanes, basically. He's their captain. He's been there for so long. He's the only cup champion with Pittsburgh, but his brother Eric won the cup with the Hurricanes in 06. I mean, this is this is a Canes legend. And I think uh I think uh, this is a good deal for Carolina. I like it. And I think uh he's a great two-way player. Uh so we'll see what he does this upcoming season. Next up, this is kind of the final discussion is all the trade rumors that have been circulating. And Tyler is super ready for this. He's hyped for this, but we have a lot of rumors storing around because in the past week, all the NHL teams were like, damn it, we're going to trade. We're going to start trading the most random freaking week ever uh, just before the draft. So let, let's get started. Let's get started. And honestly, the roster freeze happens right, I think, after the draft until free agency, right? You can't deal anyone between that time between draft and free agency, correct? Yeah, I think so. But it's only a few days anyway, so. Yeah, so maybe they're trying to sort it out before free agency to get the cap situation. But here are the rumors that are circulating. Let's start with the monstrous one, the St. Louis-Philadelphia trade that involves one player for sure, but a lot of other moving pieces. Let's start off with the Philadelphia side. So basically, uh, a couple of days ago, it was announced that Philadelphia – uh, really wants to trade Kevin Hayes to St. Louis. And St. Louis really wants Kevin Hayes for some reason. Also included in this trade would have been Travis Sanheim, who uh, obviously is a had a great year this past season. Uh, and they were trying to work on that. Meanwhile, on the St. Louis end, Tori Krug was in question to be sent to Philadelphia when he waived his he did not waive his no movement clause meaning you cannot trade him to Philadelphia Krug has that NMC on his contract that he signed of St. Louis I believe that was after the 2019 or no the 2020 season was when he signed that contract when Petrangelo left St. Louis so Krug did not waive his NMC, even though the Flyers were trying to work out another deal that would send him somewhere else. I've heard New Jersey. Um, just a lot of moving pieces. Uh, Marco Scandella was at one point in time, maybe the defenseman that was going to be in this. Um, there were some other pieces that could have been involved in this. Um just a lot of moving pieces here. Kevin Hayes, obviously the main part. I don't know why St. Louis really wants Kevin Hayes. That would be atrocious. D'Angelo, Tony D'Angelo was involved at one point until he was involved in the rumor that we're about to talk about. Just a whole lot of moving pieces here. And Tory Krug uh, still not waving his NMC, meaning that it's most likely going to be Kevin Hayes alone going to St. Louis. Your thoughts on all of this happening, Tyler? I think that, you know, at the end of the day, Kevin Hayes and Trevor Sanheim will not be flyers by the start of the, the 2023 season. You know, whether that be to St. Louis or somewhere else, I think both these guys are all but gone by now with all these rumors. 
um the Krug thing I I you know there's a reason that players want these these no trade no movement clauses and you know I respect him for for uh, exercising his right to not be moved because it's not only he doesn't want to go play for a bad team in Philly you know he's got family in St. Louis you know he was not really expecting to be moved within just a few years of signing long term there so you know it's not easy to just get picked you know pick up and move to a whole new city um so I respect him for for not wanting to change everything and I think that a lot of that mindset changes if Philly's able to you know find another team that wants to take him on but I think um that Krug is going to be a blue uh, a blues to start the season off but uh Hayes and Sanheim will not be flyers and you know if the the Hayes to St. Louis thing falls through I think that there's a good chance that the team maybe like Columbus we've heard rumors in the past come in and, and swoop him up but I, I really think that um Briere who's done a really really great job on trades in the past he's not going to let um he's not going to let a team kind of fleece him and he's going to you know, if, if the Blues are asking for something unreasonable for uh, for Hayes or whatever, he's not going to – he's going to, you know, hold his ground and make sure that, yeah, he gets a reasonable deal for both of these players. Yeah, Danny Briere is just trying to uh, make the NHL fun again. Um, Kevin Hayes, though, I don't know why St. Louis want to acquire him. Goals to get younger, not older, and a lot of their long-term people like Marco Scandella, Justin Falk, Tory Krug even these are all old guys I don't know why they want to get older by acquiring Kevin Hayes it's interesting because I didn't ever hear Krug's name in the uh, trade block until now but apparently he is he was the only reason why this deal didn't go through because of his NMC uh, I mean he signed in St. Louis long term for a reason and gets all the rights to do what he did and follow him for that like you said um as we mentioned, like, I don't know. I, I think Krug remains in the Blues, but I really do think Hayes has a good shot at ending up in St. Louis. I don't think Sanheim does, though. So I think the Hayes trade might go through. Why St. Louis would want Kevin Hayes, I don't think he's that great of a player. And even if Philly retains 50% of his salary, I still think that's too much for Kevin Hayes. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see if Kevin Hayes gets dealt. I could also see Chicago and Columbus taking a stab at him. Chicago probably taking on that cool cap because they can and they want to get to the cap floor. And, yeah, huge trade. And going off what I said earlier, Tony D'Angelo was supposed to be a part of that trade. But now it looks like he's going back to the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes obviously moved him for a bunch of draft picks last offseason. Now – Philly is looking to move him. Not a great fit in uh, in Philadelphia, but uh, Tony D'Angelo back with the Canes? Question mark, Tyler. I mean, maybe he. You know, he's a guy who puts up points. Um, and you know, uh, I think that this. Yeah, I don't know if it's a Gosses Bear replacement. Um, but I mean, Gosses Bear is another guy who wasn't the greatest defensive player, but he put up points. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I also think this could we'll talk about this more in offseason predictions. It could be the the end of of Brett Pesci because right now they're loaded on that right side. If they get um if they get a uh, D'Angelo, if that whole thing comes to fruition, which I think it will, because they'll have Pesci, Burns, Chatfield, and D'Angelo, who are all right-handed defensemen, 
So I think that it, it could signal that, you know, the end of Pesci's time in, in Carolina. But I think that D'Angelo is a guy who fit well in Carolina and his one season there. He put up points. And I think that the Hurricanes are okay with his lack of defensive game as long as he's getting points and, you know, quarterbacking uh, their power play units. Yeah, D'Angelo played well in his time in Carolina, I thought. And I think having a defense with Brent Burns, Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, and Tony D'Angelo, that top four would be dangerous. That top four could be really, really good and high scoring. But it also confuses me why Carolina would chase after yet another defenseman when they really need a goal scorer on the forward position, someone that can mesh well and Svechnikov or Ajo can feed them passes and, uh, excuse me, they can score because I think that's what really killed them in all these playoff runs is that they dry up on scoring. They can't score. They have their goaltending figured out finally. I feel like they have a great depth uh, down forward position, and I feel like they have an amazing defense even without D'Angelo. So it's just confusing why they would chase after D'Angelo especially after getting rid of him one off season ago. And our final trade rumor, and this one's also pretty big. Uh, again, big LA Kings fan, Tyler Cass, uh, is going to freak out about this one. But Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, looks to be heading to LA, to Hollywood, to Southern California, uh, because it sounds like the Kings are working on an extension with Pierre-Luc Dubois in a sign-and-trade uh, from Winnipeg and not a whole lot besides that Dubois is contacting LA for extension. So when he does get dealt, if he gets dealt, it would include an extension. That's what he really wants. But Jansen Harkins is expected to go in this uh, deal as well. We've heard Malardi's name in there. We've heard Turcotte's name in there. We've heard a couple of other names in there. Maybe Byfield. Who knows? But this could be a massive trade for the Kings. Your quick thoughts on the Dubois rumors, Tyler, because you're the Kings fan here. I'm not, I'm not saying anything until this trade comes to official, because the last time we saw the Kings involved with, with big names and prospects and trades, nothing came through. There was the whole Brent Clark for Chickren thing a, a while ago that was all rumored. You know, the Kings were all but confirmed to get Chickren a few weeks before the trade deadline and none of that happened. So I'm, I'm waiting until everything becomes official because I feel like Rob Blake is, is another guy who, you know, there's always these rumors that swirl around the Kings, but a lot of them don't end up coming true. I feel like he keeps a lot of things, you know, between him and doesn't let the media know a lot. So I think it's all just speculation right now. So I'm not saying anything until I see that, uh, that official, official tweet from the Kings that they've acquired Dubois. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. We'll see what they they'll do. It's gonna be a massive trade though if the Kings do do this. You mentioned the point with Chickering; they were all in. They did make that big splash to get Corpusalo and Gavrikov. So we've seen them make some big moves. We'll see if they can do it this off season. But that is all the news that you need to catch up as of June twenty fifth. A lot of rumors. We'll see if they come to the fruition. A lot of extensions and trades as well in the past uh, week or less than a week. But uh, also, yeah, mention real quick: uh, NHL Board of Governors banning warm-up jerseys, specialty warm-up jerseys. Any thoughts on that, real quick, Tyler? 
I hate this so much. Um, that's the the fact that um, so many teams have such cool warm up jerseys. And a lot of the times, you know, they were designed by local artists, local designers, you know, and these were huge moments for these people's careers. And a lot of them were so cool. And um, it was just, it was nice. It's, I don't know, I think it's boring seeing the same jerseys on warmups every single night. You know, I thought it was cool seeing all these different designs, different colors, especially out on the ice for warmups. It, just, it really, really sucks because um, I know, especially the Kings, the Kings had so many special warm-up jerseys and some of them were so so cool um and it just sucks that we're not going to see any of those on the ice this year yeah i mean it's the same way for the uh for most of the west coast the west coast had a lot of specialty jerseys for warm-ups like the sharks they had some really super cool ones designed by uh local artists obviously the los tiburones uh jerseys were huge massive hits around the nhl um, they had a lot of the other ones as well um, for the NHL. I thought that was cool. The Coyotes had a lot of them. Their Dias de Muertos uh, jerseys were super awesome this year. And their ASU jerseys this year, we're not going to see that anymore, despite the uh, really cool like connection between them and the school. They play in the ASU Molot Arena, and now not really a big connection without the uh, ASU jerseys. I thought those were cool. I if I had money in the world, I would totally get one of those, but warm-up jerseys are expensive. And that's the other thing. These warm-up jerseys were usually profited off um, and all the profits would go to charity. And now that's no longer going to be the case. I, I, I think they're they're still doing that. They're still making the jerseys and auctioning them off. They're just not wearing them on the ice. I don't think it's going to – because the other thing about the warm-up jerseys is that they were exclusive. Like they only wore them that yeah. one, which drove the prices up more, uh, drove the bidding up more. I don't think it's going to be as much as uh, as when they do their regular jerseys now. And I think ultimately it's stupid. You're ruining a lot of things just to get a message apart, just because some players decided not to wear jerseys, which is, you know, that's their choice. It's a, uh, it's a world where it's divisive and I'm not getting into any political things. I don't think Tyler wants to get into any political things, but um, you know, it's stupid that this this uh this happened and that they're you know not really creating a another plan. Like, you know, uh another plan that could they could somehow get warm of jerseys and not cause controversy, but I'm going to step away from that topic because we're getting into kind of the zone that uh, I don't really want to talk about. This is a hockey podcast, so we're not trying to cause any controversy in that part. But Tyler, anything else that we uh, that we missed? No, um, I think we got everything. We're on to the offseason predictions. Hello, everyone from the future. Uh, so we added this little segment on because – a trade happened not too long after uh, we finished uh, sitting down recording the podcast and right before I was going to edit it. The Bruins decided to make two trades, uh, one of them being more massive than the other. But let's start with the uh, big one. The Boston Bruins trade Taylor Hall and the UFA rights to Nick Flingo to Chicago for Ian Mitchell and Alec Regula, both who are RFAs. Basically, what this does is 
save the Bruins six million in cap space and their cap crunch. And we'll take a look at who they have to resign in the next episode, a couple of episodes in the podcast. But Tyler, your thoughts on Taylor Hall, Nick Belingo going to Chicago? Um, I love this trade for Chicago because first of all, you get I'm not gonna call Hall a superstar, but you get Bedard an elite first line winger to play with. Because if you look at that roster beforehand, they were there was not a lot of really good players to pair with Bedard on that first line. So you finally have a Bedard. You have a guy who could, you know, who could finish, but also you know dish out some assists for Bedard. You know, create some space for him to work with, and that's great. And then also uh, with Hall, you know, he's a guy who, you know, the contract isn't the greatest thing ever, but you put him with Bedard, he has a really good half a season or full year. You know, his value might shoot up a ton. And for Chicago, they retain a little bit of that salary. Um, that could be a team might pay a huge price for that at the deadline or even next season. So it's a chance for for Hull to, you know, revitalize his careers, a chance for Chicago to, you know, um, they got him for nothing and potentially ship him off for a big package. And then uh, Boston side, it's just the, the cap dump. I, you know, they didn't really have a lot of cap space and they have some guys they traded for at the deadline that they probably want to bring back. Another play have the chance to do it after clearing out Hall six million, and then Foligno was a guy they probably weren't bringing back. I doubt he signs in Chicago, but um, I don't really understand. They just kind of threw him in there, so it's a one less thing to worry about for them. And the Bruins just get back to you know young guys. Probably will play down in Providence, but it's always nice to have depth. I uh, I really like this trade for Chicago. Here's why. Uh, first off, this is the fourth time uh, Taylor Hall has been traded in his career. Obviously, went from Edmonton to New Jersey, then went from New Jersey to Arizona, went from Buffalo to Boston, and then now Boston to Chicago. He, he's been on quite a bit of teams, obviously. We've mentioned all of them, Devils, uh, the Oilers, Devils, Coyotes, uh, Sabres, Bruins, and now the Blackhawks. He's been on a lot of them, so he keeps moving around and trying to find a place to stick. His best season, as we know, was with New Jersey when he was a uh, Hart finalist and the Hart winner. Um, he was MVP of the league. That's And that was around five-ish years ago. Uh, obviously, he's still looking to reclaim that position, but this might be maybe where he takes the next step in his career because – Without him, the Blackhawks have nothing besides Connor Bedard. And who's Connor Bedard going to play with if he's not there? Uh, it's kind of concerning, um, obviously, because you want Bedard, although you're not going to compete for the playoffs, you want Bedard to have someone that can, you know, uh, feed him good passes, someone he can really thrive along, not some six bottom liner. Um, that you're going to re-sign in the offseason uh, because you're trying to rebuild, and definitely not Seth Jones. Uh, so I, I like that the Hawks are going out and require and acquiring Taylor Hall. The cap to me is nothing because the Hawks are trying to get to the cap floor. This is a way they can uh, try to get to the cap floor. Obviously, they're not going to spend a lot of money uh, this season, so – I think that's good. It's kind of weird how Falingo is in there. I don't think he signs with uh, he signs with Chicago. Well, I guess if he does, some good veteran presence on there for a bunch of the young guys that are going to come up if he signs. 
on the Bruins side of things, it's a bit confusing because obviously uh, they just gave up Taylor Hall for pretty much nothing. Ian Mitchell is a good prospect. I uh, heard a lot about him in Chicago. Uh, Alec Regla was part of the Brandon Perlini trade uh, when the Hawks dealt Perlini to Detroit. He was the uh, person going back the other way. So, again, like you said, Tyler, good death for uh, Boston, I guess, but nothing seismic here. I think this really benefits Chicago, in my opinion. Gives Bedard someone to play around with and also gives – um, more cap to get to the cap floor. Meanwhile, Boston, I mean, a huge thing here, frees up $6 million in cap space. Now they have $10 million to play around with, some big names they have to resign. So it's going to be interesting what they do. Um, other than that, they made a, another trade, uh, minor league trade here. Bruins trade Shane Bowers to the Devils for Riley Walsh. Um, Shane Bowers is actually dealt to the Bruins from the avalanche this past uh, season. So any thoughts on this one, Tyler? Uh, not really. Just another depth trade. Both guys probably play in the AHL. I mean, something much, you know, maybe two guys who needed a, a fresh start, no matter what league it was. We don't know, like, the entire details there. But, I mean, it's just a depth trade for both teams. Yeah, nothing much here. I agree with you, Tyler. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much the uh the uh huge thing here. So yeah, of course they wanted to put a trade down right before we ed- sat down to edit the uh the whole podcast. So we're going to send you right back to where you left off on the podcast. Yep. So, as you mentioned, Tyler, we're going to have a couple episodes coming out, uh, probably one for the West and one for the East, where we go through each team, kind of predict their offseason, what they're going to do in the offseason. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, It's going to be a fun one. Uh, Guys, first off, socials, you can find Tyler Cass on Twitter, Tyler Cass underscore. Uh, Go watch for some Eggman memes, you know, Barry Trotz, what legend. Um, Follow me on Twitter, Chase Beersley underscore. Fun stuff there. Go check it out. Uh, But other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, So much stuff happening in this past week. And make sure to tune in for our uh, off-season predictions. And we will see you all in the next episode. Take care. Girl, be more like Alexa Bliss.